Welcome to the Sunday Night Health Show podcast. Tonight in the program, we're catching up with Julie Nolan about her breast cancer and stalker journey. Also going to be talking about long COVID, the problem with eating meat, why suppressing negative emotions is good for you. The Sunday Night Health Show podcast starts now. And now, Maureen's Health Headline. October is amongst other awareness months it is breast cancer awareness months one in eight canadian women will develop breast cancer during their lifetime and one in 34 will die from it roughly half of all breast cancers occur in women with no specific risk factors other than sex and age Julie Nolan is a journalist in Vancouver, a 33-year veteran originally from Alberta. She's an anchor and reporter with Global News, doing hundreds of stories on education, parenting, and health all along the way. And throughout her extensive three-year, three-decade career in journalism, Julie has confronted many challenging stories. However, as a Global News reporter, anchor, and producer, she has consistently avoided being the focal point of the narratives she covers. Now a significant shift has occurred. She came on the show last month and she chose to share a deeply personal and private battle that she is facing. She's been diagnosed with cancer. And as in addition to this distressing diagnosis, she also disclosed her efforts to put an end to harassment by a long-term stalker. Julie joins me on the line right now. Good evening, Julie. Hi, Maureen. So nice to be here with you again. Oh, so nice to have you back. And you sound great. And I want to thank you so much for coming on the show again this month and um, catching us. You know, we're all waiting to hear. How are you doing? You sound amazing. Well, I'm trying. I'm hanging (laughs) in there. Um, I uh, was supposed to go for my fourth uh, chemo treatment uh, last week, but uh, unfortunately, my white blood cell counts were low, and specifically my neutrophils and my monophils were out of whack. And I don't know if you want to explain what that is, but essentially white blood cell counts, you, uh, you know, were, were too low. And then they said, okay, you have to hold back a week. So I'm going to be going in for number four tomorrow instead. And, and will, they repeating your, will they be repeating your white blood cell count and neutrophil count? Yeah, well, apparently I'm back up, um, doing better, but uh, I'm going to have to start uh, Lapelja on Tuesday, which is a drug to stimulate more white blood cells to be produced um, so that I don't have to have that setback ever again through the rest of my that's awesome. And, and just wanted to mention that white blood cells are part of the immune system and they help your body fight off infections and other diseases. And with the chemotherapy that you're going through, that would increase your risk of um, getting an infection. And so that's why they're keeping an eye on that to help uh, you fight bacteria, viruses, and other foreign subject, substances that can cause illness in, a, in an individual. So that must have been disappointing um, you have a plan. I, I imagine you have a number of chemo treatments that, that they've laid out for you over a period yeah. of time. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I'm, I'm in for eight uh, in total. So this would be my halfway mark tomorrow, which I can't even believe that I'm already at that halfway point. Um, but yeah, I have uh, treatments every three weeks. Uh, so yeah, I was very disappointed when I got the call last Monday morning saying, sorry, you can't proceed. We have to wait for your levels to come back up. 
And uh, I think, you know, for me, I'm just such a fighter and I'm so stubborn. Just ask my family, especially my <laughs> new hubby, um, that I I was just really wanting to wanting to get you know, get going. But, you know, when your body says slow down, you have to listen. So, um, yeah, I'm, I'm ready for, for number four tomorrow. And this way with these injections, hopefully I don't have that setback ever again. So that, uh, that injection comes the day after every chemo for the subsequent treatments, you know, that I have. Okay. Um, you know, you mentioned it a little bit. You were very disappointed that your treatment was going to be delayed. Um, having breast cancer, going through the treatments, the fear of the unknown, the side effects, how has this impacted you emotionally? Well, you know, it's it's interesting because I, I think I've actually felt pretty good about everything um, as far as like, you know, I was I think mentally ready for the fight um, ahead. Um, I think the toughest part looking back was just hearing that news, you know, that first day, you know, you have cancer, you just, you, you feel like you are now out of control uh, of your own life. And it's, it's just such a, um, uh, you know, it's such an unknown, of course, like you say, like, going into this all not knowing where you know where would the cancer be found luckily for me um you know it wasn't found anywhere else but other other than sorry in my breasts um so thankfully um that fight isn't as big as it could be for some other folks out there and for those folks i i'm so sorry that that's what you're dealing with um but i think for for me looking at this fight as, as it is, it's a battle. Um, I, I think I've just mentally prepared for every treatment with, uh, as much grace as I can muster and strength and, um, just trying to surround myself with love and support, not just my, you know, my family, uh, my friends, my colleagues at work, my managers at work, everybody's been, so incredible. And I think that it has propped me up where I didn't feel like I had the strength. Um, I do um, gratitude journaling um, very actively, and that has helped me stay positive and look for those silver linings where wherever they are, you know, and they, they do exist. Um, so I think that's the sort of thing. Um, those are some of the examples of, of ways I've been able to stay strong through this. Right. And, and you use the word battle quite a bit um, throughout that. I mean, do you feel like you're fighting? Do you feel like you need to muster up all this energy and, and you know, take this on? And um, does it consume your headspace? And, and also, um, how about after the chemo? I know many people after chemotherapy, regardless of whether it's for breast cancer or not, you know, they might feel unwell, nauseous, which is one of the worst things, um, vomiting, chills, fevers. Uh, do you experience any of those side effects? Yes, I, I definitely um, have those things happening. Uh, my, my hubby and I were talking about this today. I, um, you know, feel as though the, uh, the stuff like, you know, my nausea or the fatigue has been 
um, definitely there. It's it's worse the week of chemo. And like I say, I've got one sort of bad week and then I get two good weeks. Um, so the bad week is always the, the chemo week. I can seem to manage uh, the symptoms um, fairly well. Uh, the one thing that has been the constant that I can't seem to get ahead of is the chemo brain, the chemo fog. And that's something I didn't really understand was such a, a big thing. Mm-hmm. And I think I mentioned this previously that it's, you know, just for me to do what I love, which is writing, um, you know, as a journalist, it's very difficult to synthesize information. Um, I think you know, I fool everyone quite well because I can, you know, speak. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I'm making sense with my sentences that I'm piecing together. But unfortunately, it's it's chemo brain is, is a very real thing. And I was in talking to BC Cancer's psychologist on Friday just about this very issue. Like, how can I get ahead of chemo brain? And that's the one thing that I have really struggled to try to figure out how to handle. So it's like learning new ways to remember certain things that I need to do, like this radio interview tonight, like making sure that I'm setting an alarm (laughs) just so that I'm here and that I'm reliable. But I can, you know, unfortunately, I can't really do anything to solve that like I can with nausea, right? I could take a ginger um, candy even and I can feel better from the nausea. The chemo brain is just constant. And I'm so sorry, I didn't answer your first part of that question. Um, but I can't remember what it was, and I'm going to blame chemo brain on that. Julie Nolan is my guest. She's a journalist in Vancouver, a 33-year veteran, originally from Alberta. She's an anchor and reporter with Global News, and she has gotten the devastating diagnosis of breast cancer, of which one in eight Canadian women will develop in their lifetime, and one in 34 will die of that. Julie, thanks so much for staying on the line here with me. Absolutely. As I, sorry about that. I think we're all in the chemo brain mode here. Um, hey, no I, problem. Glad you're back. Thank you. I'm glad you're still here. I really appreciate it. I, you know, speaking of chemo brain, I had a friend who was going through breast cancer and I said, to, I was so surprised at this, but I said to her, you know, if you'd like me to come along, she talked about the chemo brain, if you'd like me to come along to your visit and I will type out everything that the doctor says because she couldn't remember anything. And I typed it out and then I sent it to her via email. And I mean, it was pages and pages and pages of information, all of which she might have missed. So how important is it to have this support system around you and accept, and it's difficult for women sometimes to accept help. How important is that, would you say, for anybody going through breast cancer? Oh, wow, Marie, what an excellent point. Um, and I, it's interesting because I've had other women who are going through this, who have reached out to me, and I'm, I'm happy to pay it forward and help people like they've helped me out, other breast cancer survivors. Um, and to your point, yes, we actually bring um, along two notepads sometimes, both uh, my husband and I, and if I'm allowed to have even a third person um, with us, uh, we'll, we'll all be taking notes and um, you know, I think we're good at it because uh, we're my hubby and I are both journalists, so pretty used to writing everything down. But what I also do, which I recommend, is ask the doctor if it's okay to record them. And so what we've done is just um, hit the memo record on our phones, 
and recorded them with their permission. And then we have not only what they've said, but also our notes that we can refer to. And I have found that very helpful. But yes, I can totally relate because to not just the chemo brain, but when you're being bombarded with a lot of information, it's important to have that, you know, fail safe that someone can, can record that for you because it's, I've even been surprised myself how much I've missed um, along the way. So, so Yeah. yeah, it's good of you that you did that for your friend. Well, it's a great strategy that you recommended as well. Um, something that people go through who are experiencing cancer um, is the scans and you, or, or even the checkups. You know, you're halfway through, you say tomorrow. Um, how much anxiety, and, and oftentimes people who have to have a scan to see the size of a tumor or whatever, have something called scanxiety. Um, how anxious uh, would you say you are before you go to the doctor's appointment? I... I think that I've been pretty, uh, you know, strong through it all. Um, There was only one time where I was in an MRI, and it was my second MRI in between my first and second chemo treatment, and they were trying to see about another tumor, uh, and they wanted to do a biopsy, but they needed to be able to do it in the MRI. And that was the only time that I felt really anxious because, of the way that I was, you know, laying in the machine. And, and for those people who don't know what happens in an MRI, it's quite a lengthy process. And you are, you know, up, you know, you're, you're laying flat on your stomach, but the device that um, in order to do a biopsy, it has to, you know, squeeze the breast tissue into a a holder and then they put the, the needle in. And in my case, the tumor had already disappeared from one uh, chemo treatment. So I didn't have to carry on with the, the biopsy. But I, that was one time that I was really anxious. And I think it was because of the pain that I was in. But mm-hmm. generally speaking, I felt pretty good about my tests moving forward. And tomorrow morning, I have an echocardiogram. It'll be my second echocardiogram. They want to make sure my heart health is okay for, you know, what's ahead, which is going to be the radiation, right? So they want to make sure that my heart is tolerating everything. Um, I think, uh, you know, one thing I would do moving forward into another MRI, uh, which is inevitable um, for cancer patients, is that I would probably do some some relaxation uh, breathing Mm -hmm. to calm myself down. I think that that's what I've read has been helpful. And right. had I known that would, would have been helpful that last time, I probably would have done it. So now I know. Yes. Well, it sounds like you're getting amazing care and you're, you sound awesome and you sound so healthy and so good. And I'm so happy for you. Um, not to bring up a negative subject, and I didn't want to give too much um, attention to this, but you've also had to deal with harassment by a long-term stalker while you've been going through this. How are you doing on that end of things? Well, I think... So far, I mean, there is an active police file, so there's not a whole lot that I can reveal about it, but it does seem to be um, ceasing. Uh, mm-hmm. I don't want to, uh, you know, I don't, I don't want to speak too soon, <laughs> and then all of a sudden it crops up again. Um, but you know, it's it's just, yeah, it's it's there, and and you know, hopefully there will be an end to it 
you know, a sort of a finality at some point. But but for now, there's a little bit of peace and, and I will take it. I will That's take great. It. You know, but also when women are facing a breast cancer diagnosis, you know, women have so much on their plates, especially these days. So it's not just, you know, you're still working. It's not just focusing on the breast cancer treatments and moving forward. It's everything else that women have to do. What would you say to women out there who are are busy? Maybe they're single moms. Maybe they've got so much on their plate um, and are facing with this diagnosis. I think, you know, you know, I've, I've had like everyone um, around me, you're right. Women have a lot on their plates. Men do too, Mm -hmm. but you know, women as uh, you know, the, sometimes the chief cook and bottle washer as my parents used to call uh, my grandmother. Um, You know, you, you, you balance it. You try your best. I think it's Mm -hmm. okay to admit when you can't balance it all. And Good remember advice. that you're, you know, that you're, you're human. And um, as I've long said, that sometimes our lives are like um, that balancing act that, um, you know, that triaging. And sometimes you just have to focus on certain things and you've exactly. got to put your energy right towards certain things. And right now yeah. my, my efforts are at this, you know, directed at this, this battle. And oh, I wish um, you the best of luck, Julie. Unfortunately, we're up against the clock. You know what that's like yeah, in <laughs> radio. I do. I do. Thank you so much for coming on. I really appreciate it. All right. Thanks, Maureen. Have a great uh, night. October is also thrombosis month in Canada this year. And um, Thrombosis Canada is focused on educating Canadians about the use of anticoagulants, commonly referred to as blood thinners, to treat blood clots in the veins and prevent severe outcomes like stroke or pulmonary embolus. Joining me on the line from Vancouver, British Columbia, is Dr. Tony Wan. He's a medical doctor, completed a clinical fellowship in thrombosis. Dr. Wan is the co-director of the St. Paul's Hospital Thrombosis Clinic. He's an active member of the Canadian Venus Thromboembolism Clinical Trials and Outcomes Research Can Vector Network and Thrombosis Canada. Good evening, Dr. Wan. Good evening. Thank you for having me. Well, I'm delighted that you're here with me. Thank you so much for joining the program tonight. Um, so we're throwing around the word thrombosis. Uh, is, is it effectively a blood clot, we, which we heard a bit about during COVID and the pandemic? Thrombosis is, uh, means blood clot and typically mm-hmm. occurs in the legs or in the lungs. And which can cause a lot of problems for people if they have a blood clot in their, in their legs or their lungs. What are the symptoms? Mm-hmm. Uh, there are a few um, cardinal symptoms, and I often use a mnemonic to help uh, my patients uh, remember them. It's pretty simple. It's CLOT, C-L-O-T-S. You know, C stands for uh, chest pain. That's one of them. Um, L stands for lightheadedness. Um, o stands for out of breath. T stands for uh, tenderness in the leg. And S for uh, swelling in the legs. And so if people have any one of those symptoms, what would you suggest? Do they need to have one or a couple of them? And if they do experience those, what would you recommend? Mm-hmm. Yeah, good question. And certainly if um, uh, you experience more than one of them, it's more likely that there's a blood clot. I would say if you have any of those symptoms and they're not going away on their own, uh, just seek medical attention for sure. 
Mm-hmm. And so what is, how can we prevent thrombosis? We hear about thrombosis for people having a DVT, a deep vein thrombosis after a long plane ride. Um, how uh, can we prevent a, a blood clot? The most uh, effective way to prevent it is uh, using an anticoagulant, as you mentioned earlier, or commonly known as blood thinner. Um, and typically, we will prescribe anticoagulant when someone's uh, risk for thrombosis is very high. Mm-hmm. And, and so recently, um, in February, a research study was commissioned by Thrombosis Canada, led by Dr. Deborah Siegel, a hematologist and associate professor at the University of Ottawa, um, where they surveyed 305 Canadians who either use anticoagulants, the blood thinners, or are a caregiver for someone who does. But the goal was being was to assess the knowledge and attitudes of respondents about the use of anticoagulants. So, you know, dosing and... Um, compliance. What were some of the findings of that study? Mm-hmm. As you mentioned, um, um, our team um, uh, proceeded with a survey to assess the knowledge and also the attitude of uh, patients on anticoagulant. And 305 Canadians responded. And some of the findings that I uh, think are important to highlight is about 44% of patients mentioned that they have uh, skipped or missed anticoagulant at some point. You know, uh, you know, uh, people get busy during the day. It's uh, understandable. What is um, uh, concerning is that 42% of them mentioned they do not know or not sure of what to do when they miss a blood center. So to me, it highlights um, uh, the need for more awareness and perhaps more targeted uh, education for patients. Absolutely. And what should one do? Should they miss a dose of their anticoagulant, the medication that helps to keep their blood thin and flowing smoothly? Mm-hmm. In general, uh, what I tell my patients is if they miss the dose, uh, don't count it. Um, certainly don't try to take more uh, to you know, try to cover for what was missed. I would uh, mention that uh, we resume and continue taking it as you would uh, the following day. So you wouldn't, if you forgot it, at, say say you're supposed to take it at 8 o'clock in the morning and you take it every morning and then you forget and then you realize, oh, it's 4 o'clock in the afternoon and I forgot to take my anticoagulant. You shouldn't, you don't recommend taking it at 4 o'clock in the afternoon? It's certainly doable to take it. I often find that when patients do it, the timings get mixed. For example, if they remember before um, they go to sleep, they take it and then they usually take it uh, in the morning when they wake up. Uh, sometimes that becomes a double, you know, they're taken too close together. Right. So an uh, easy thing to do is uh, don't panic, uh, you know, the next day, uh, just retake it as uh, as you would normally do. And most of these blood thinners um, take uh, these two or three days to, to wear off anyway. So uh, you also have some uh, medication in the system. And so they have a decent half-life, I, I imagine. Mm-hmm. That's correct. Um, so I also noted in some of the results of that survey was that um, close to 60%, 57% of people indicated they've experienced a major bleed, which is one of the side effects of anticoagulant therapy. Is it? Is it not? That's correct. And certainly the side effect that we uh, as uh, physicians and healthcare providers worry most about. In general, the newer class of anticoagulant the risk of bleeding is about 2% a year uh, for people who are taking it. 
Um, and obviously, when, when we have a survey, the patients uh, self-select a bit. Um, and it's important that uh, uh, people know that if you bleed from a, from a wild hand blood thinner, we have very effective treatment in the hospital. Uh, I find that many of my patients are sometimes too anxious uh, when they don't know what happens if they do experience bleeding. And I suppose you didn't dive into what types of bleeds these people were experiencing, or, or did you? Uh, because I would imagine like a brain bleed would be something quite different from, you know, uh, a, a, an accident or, uh, you know, cu- being cut with a knife or, you know, accidentally cutting yourself in the kitchen. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's correct. An um, uh, intracranial bleed or bleeding inside uh, the head or brain is certainly the one that we worry most about. Um, when we uh, surveyed the patients, uh, we didn't ask them about the specific area of bleeding. Uh, we mentioned major bleeding as the bleeding that you normally seek uh, medical attention. But you're mm-hmm. right, we were not able to tease out these final details in the survey. Mm-hmm. And, and also 47% notably have had a non-major bleed while taking a blood thinner. So it sounds like bleeding is... Um, a significant concern for both the patients and also in terms of education um, that physicians, you know, and physicians don't always have all that much time in their office to talk to patients about anticoagulant therapy and some of the side effects and what to do about them. Is, is this part of the awareness program, kind of a shared responsibility between the physician and the patient? I know that pharmacists do educate, do some education around side effects of medications. Mm-hmm. Yes, uh, it's a very important uh, aspect of care of uh, patient education, and we in healthcare can certainly uh, do better. Uh, we often wish we had more time. I think one of the main message to share is that anticoagulants on their own do not cause bleeding. Uh, however, if you bleed for uh, other reasons, for example, you mentioned if you get injured, trauma, or if you are bleeding from, let's say, a stomach ulcer, being on a blood thinner will make the bleeding worse. So important to know, on its own, they don't cause bleeding. Um, and I often tell my patients, uh, if you have bleeding symptoms, uh, you should uh, uh, seek medical attention right away. And knowing that uh, if you're in the urgent care center or emergency department, we do have very effective treatment that can reverse the effect of anticoagulant and also other supportive treatment to help with the bleeding. It could be intravenous fluid. It could be blood transfusion. So the key message is it's a very treatable uh, side effect. Right. And so do you think we're giving that information to patients in the office, or are they best to go to the website, thrombosiscanada.ca? Can people get that information there? Mm-hmm. Definitely. The Thrombosis Canada website is great. Um, and, you know, I always try my best to uh, uh, educate patients regarding this um, uh, important side effect, uh, but as I mentioned, uh, many healthcare providers probably can relate. You know, we often don't have enough time, but we mm-hmm. can certainly do better. Exactly. And, you, you know, you make a great point. We always, I always think, you know, in terms of anticoagulants, increases the risk of bleeding. Um, but I didn't really tease it out probably enough um, that it's not the anticoagulant that will cause you to bleed. It's something that may happen, a weakened artery or um, an accident, uh, for example. Are, are people generally concerned um, when they get this education that, oh, no, what if I have a car accident? I'm going to bleed to death. Or does it prevent them from wanting to accept the prescription? 
Mm-hmm. You know, um, you know, quite understandably, people often get anxious when you bring up this topic. And I think it was a, uh, an issue that was identified in the survey as well. Uh, a few of the things that we uh, ask patients or ask them, uh, what would you like to most like to know most about? And uh, many people brought up whether there is a reversal agent for anticoagulant. Mm-hmm. I think is more a peace of mind. So uh, many people may not know, even with the newer anticoagulants, we do have very effective treatment to reverse the effect. Um, and they're not available in their clinics, or but they're available in the emergency department. I see. So it's not something somebody can be given another prescription for and, and take at home. No, no. These are, uh, you know, um, can be a, a complex drug uh, that are usually given in the emergency department or uh, in the hospital uh, unit. So uh, it highlights the key point if you're having major bleeding symptoms, you should be going you know, to the hospital. Mm-hmm. And, and that sounds like that is the recommendation of the day here. <laughs> if you are bleeding and on yeah. an anticoagulant, um, you should go to the emergency department because there is treatment. There is reversible treatment. And it's pretty... Uh, emergency room staff understand what the treatment is? Is that, or is there more education that's needed there as well? Mm-hmm. I think everyone in, the, in our emergency department is very um, familiar uh, with um, these protocols. Um, mm-hmm. you know, they have lots of training. They see patients, um, trauma patients, so that there's a good algorithm. What I think what's more challenging is for patients to decide or determine whether the bleeding is a minor thing, or uh, severe enough to to go to the hospital. Mm-hmm. So um, things to think about, you know, bruising or um, cutting yourself, you know, by accident in the, in the kitchen, often or nosebleed. These are often uh, minor things. If they get better with, you know, pressure, then obviously, you know, you, you don't necessarily need to go to the emergency department. Um, more serious things, for example, if you're in a motor vehicle accident, you know, even if you know you didn't think you'd get hurt, but if you're a blood thinner, I think it's important to get checked out. And as alluded earlier, any type of um, you know, injury or bleeding concern with the head or the brain uh, mm-hmm. really needs um, to be assessed in the emergency department. Well, it is all excellent advice and great education. I really appreciate you coming on the show, Dr. Wan. That was awesome. And I know uh, for those who missed it, perhaps, but uh, are just joining the show, thrombosiscanada.ca is where you can get more information. That's thrombosiscanada.ca. Thanks again, Dr. Wan, for joining the program and talking about this very important subject that's on the minds of lots of Canadians. Thank you for having me. Good evening. Have you ever gone to therapy? I often say therapy is a gift you give to yourself. It's that place where you can be honest with somebody, trust somebody, share things that you maybe haven't shared with anybody ever. Um, It's that opportunity to release some of the pain just by talking about it. It's uh, dealing with anxiety or depression. It's a a place that um, where you want to go to figure out what you've perhaps repressed in your life and perhaps bring it back. But can that bring a lot more problems as well? Or can you deal with it and then you'll feel so much better? But I will say that I do believe in therapy. I do think it is very important. But you know what? 
therapists don't always get it right either. It's, it's challenging. It's very difficult. And people have specific specialties or areas of focus, um, that they're comfortable with, or there's certain in, inherent biases in that as well. Um, but you know what? I thought this was quite interesting and who doesn't have negative thoughts? I mean, it is so common for people to, you know, if before they're going to go out to an event, think, oh, I can't go. I'm going to be embarrassed. I'm overweight. I don't look good. Who's going to be there? What if so-and-so is there? I mean, all of these negative thoughts. And, you know, historically, we have thought that suppressing a thought only makes it more intrusive. Of course, you probably all know about the pink elephant. And if someone tells you to stop thinking about the pink elephant, of course, you're going to think about the pink elephant more because it was on your mind. But there is some new research out um, that was published last month in the journal Science Advances. And the authors found that training the brain to block out negative thoughts appeared to improve mental health outcomes. Now, is this just a way to say, to do further repression? <laughs> Don't talk about it. Don't think about it. Put it out of your mind. Block that. Is it helpful or isn't it? It might be. And the jury is probably still out, but I'll tell you about the study. The researchers conducted a study involving 120 adults from 16 countries, which sounds like a robust study, but it's probably not robust enough. Each participant listed 20 fears, 20 hopes, and 36 neutral events for the future. The fears had to be specific recurring concerns causing distress. Participants associated a word with each type of event. Half of them focused on their negative words, not allowing their thoughts to drift into more distressing territory. The other half did the same with neutral words. And the exercise re was repeated 12 times a day for three days. And the results demonstrated that those who blocked negative thoughts reported less vivid fears and improved mental health compared to those suppressing neutral thoughts. These positive effects persisted for three months after the study, which is fairly significant, I would say. Statistically significant? I'm not sure. Participants with high anxiety and post-traumatic stress experienced significant reductions in worries and improved mental health with no instances of increased negative symptoms. This is important. Anxiety is the number one mental health condition around the world. Uh, and it can be paralyzing. It can be life altering. I also wanted to say that three months after this particular experiment was over, around 80% of the participants said they had continued to use the thought suppression techniques they learned in the study to control their fears. It's a, it's a treatment. It's something that you can give to your patients. It is something, and it, it is something you can utilize. It does not have to be given to you by a therapist. Um, this is something that you can learn yourself. This is something that you can think about. I mean, everybody worries about something and, and some people, it's on a continuum. Some people have extreme worries or severe worries, but when you have something as simple as this actually lead to self-reported worries decreasing by 44% on average, which was what the case was in this particular study. It's, you know, it's got to be worth a try. 
you know, and especially people with post-traumatic stress, their overall negative mental health measured as a combination of self-reported anxiety, depression, and worry fell by an average of 16%, while their positive mental health increased by nearly 10%. 10% happier, 10% less worry. It's not a bad thing. 10% is pretty good. The people with the highest trait anxiety and the highest PTSD were the ones that benefited the most. And you know who you are, people who have high anxiety and who maybe are suffering with PTSD or complex PTSD. We, we see it a lot in uh, workplace bullying. For example, people suffer a complex PTSD. They have continuous worries about going to work, um, losing their job. They have heart palpitations, lots of physical ex um, experiences or uh, symptoms. You were just listening about negative emotions. I just wanted to quickly read a text. Otherwise, I'm going to read your texts and emails at the half hour coming up uh, in about a half an hour during our health quiz. Um, but Don wrote in, uh, we were just talking about suppressing negative uh, thoughts and the benefit of mental health. And Don wrote in that um, Jonathan and Andy Goldman are authors of The Humming Effect, Sound Healing for Health and Happiness. And um, Don says this gentleman spent 40 years studying all the benefits of humming, mental and physical, and personally tested people's energy fields and was shocked how fast negative thoughts changed the energy field of the body that was not good. Don would recommend this book and it's called The Humming Effect. Um, and uh, yeah, see what you think of it if, um, if that works for you. But right now, um, well, in this hour, we're going to be talking about, um, you know, just how much meat do you eat and how healthy is that for you? Also going to be talking about long COVID very shortly with Dr. Tommy Mitchell and get ready and prepared for my health quiz coming up at 9.30. I had the loveliest email from William who won uh, the September prize and um, he was very happy and is going to take his family out for dinner. Anyway, also going to be talking about how the world is failing women in so many ways. But right now, uh, you've heard her voice before, and uh, she's going to join me on the line because we're going to be talking about it. Your requests, and thanks so much for your emails and text messages. I really appreciate any suggestions that uh, you want to learn about. And so um, somebody texted in um, who is experiencing long COVID, and I've actually seen a number of patients recently who have been experiencing long COVID. I had a 40-year-old a patient recently who... Um, has had it for about a year and a half and has had to do a full career change, has now just um, uh, gotten relief from some of the breathlessness, although I could see that he was still um, breathless, breathless, but he has to take two to four hours worth of naps in the day. The causes of long COVID are not yet fully understood and the research is ongoing, but it's believed that a combination of factors, including viral persistence and overactive immune response and possible damage to organs and tissues during the acute infection contribute to these persistent um, symptoms. But there might be something else that researchers are on to. And joining me on the line right now to talk about that is that is none other than Dr. Tommy Mitchell, who is a medical doctor, family physician, and is also a productivity coach. Her website is wellnessstrategies.com. And yes, that's with three S's. Good evening, Dr. Mitchell. How are you? Good evening, Maureen. I'm well. Thank you. Oh, good. I'm so glad you're well. Um, because a lot of people out there aren't. And it's at one point, there were about a third of people were experiencing 
long COVID symptoms. And what are some of those long COVID symptoms? Yeah, so this brain frog, um, shortness of breath, difficulty um, speaking. Some people have neurological symptoms, almost like stroke-like symptoms, like problems with walking, communicating. There are others who are completely debilitated, like a wide range. Um, mood disorders, we saw people with new worsening anxiety, depression-like symptoms, again, with that brain fog. This was just one of the few long COVID symptoms we've seen mm-hmm. over the past And they also years. can experience like skin rashes and sleep disturbances, yeah. insomnia, yeah. which is already a big problem for people. Heart palpitations, other cardiovascular symptoms have also been reported. It's really debilitating. I mean, to have a chronic headache, which is also reported by some long COVID sufferers or loss of smell or taste, they they yeah. continue to have that. Oftentimes people lose their sense of taste or smell for two or three weeks, but sometimes people have it for six months to a year and it it is not good. It is not fun. It's, it's given rise to clinics in uh, the different provinces across the country to deal with um, these symptoms of long COVID. Like how often though, do you think that people's symptoms are dismissed or people don't believe that long COVID exists? I think that happens often because, frankly, it, we've kind of been in this COVID lull where people have kind of been like, la, 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 the pandemic is over. That's been the general mentality. I'm not saying you and I. So people really haven't been connecting the dots because they've been told COVID is over, but COVID isn't over. The impacts of COVID still remain and still remain to be fully understood as this virus continues to evolve. Mm-hmm. And, you know, a lot of people, oftentimes it's a diagnosis of uh, exclusion. So yeah. it's not this, it's not that, it's not this. Maybe it's long COVID. I've heard patients who have gone to a number of different doctors who have been dismissed, basically, yeah. um, by their doctors. It, it, is COVID real? <laughs> uh, I mean, long COVID. Is yeah. long COVID real? Well, it I should say, is COVID real? real? A lot of people don't believe that either. Uh, I, this is a yes. Totally, it's denial. Yeah, COVID is very real, and long COVID is very real. And and what would you say to somebody out there who's experiencing? And if you're experiencing symptoms of long COVID, I'd love to hear from you. One eight seven seven three nine nine ninety eight ninety eight. Or if you or you know somebody who's experiencing uh, the symptoms, um, give us a call or text. The number to call or text is one eight seven seven. 399-9898. That's 1-877-399-9898. Maybe you're just experiencing since a COVID infection, fatigue, shortness of breath, brain fog, chest pain, muscle pain, joint pain, headaches, cardiovascular issues, heart palpitations, digestive problems, mental health symptoms increasing, skin rashes. Give us a call. The number to call 1-877-399-9898 or text. Um, You know, what would you say to somebody out there who is experiencing, quite honestly, I've had a few messages from listeners about please do a segment on long COVID, Um, you know, and and I suspect that it's because a lot of people don't feel like they're believed or they feel like there's something wrong with them in their head um, as opposed to, you know, the problem sequela from a, uh, an infection. It doesn't have to have been a serious um, symptomatic infection, you know? What would you say to people out there suffering with this? 
first empathy, you know, I'm really sorry that you're going through it because like the symptoms are so diverse. Like it's not, it's multiple organ involvement, multiple system involvement and the severity can vary. Um, I would say really persist in finding someone A who will believe you and listen and take the time to really address the symptoms that you're having. If this is still a relatively new illness we're dealing with and hopefully get connected to one of the long COVID clinics across the country. I know access varies significantly and some clinics maybe focus more on the respiratory concerns than some of the other ones. But again, this is why having a really strong healthcare team behind you is crucial. Mm-hmm. There, there have been some recent studies that have pointed to long COVID biomarkers. And, you know, it's how important is this in terms of coming up with new treatments? Yes, there definitely have been um, like a lot of research right now with the biomarkers. And, you know, I, I'm optimistic and I know with persistence and, you know, more funding, we'll learn more about this. Um, but, hey, if we could learn, like talking about serotonin, for example, something that we've known, we've studied it as far as um, depression and also interference, which are important proteins in our body that kind of say intruder alert, intruder alert when there's a threat, specifically a viral threat. This might be a really good tool to help us understand what's going on with the patient's immune system and their response and why they're struggling with clearing this, why they're still struggling with long COVID months, if not years after the initial infection. Mm-hmm. In, in, the, in this, these recent research studies, they found that the chemical messenger serotonin has been depleted and, and that may lead to cognitive impacts like memory loss or that brain fog that yeah. has been described by so many people. So many people. That brain fog is real. Yeah. And that's, that's quite interesting because we do have some, you know, re- existing research on serotonin, especially its impact with like mental health, specifically depression. But yeah, um, the serotonin connection is quite interesting. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the other thing we hear often that the gut brain connection in terms of mental health. And, yeah. and I thought it was very interesting that according to um, this research out of the University of Pennsylvania that was published on Monday in the journal Cell, um, found that there were virus fragments lingering in the guts of people with long COVID, even though they were no longer testing positive for the virus. And that was enough to trigger the release of interferons, which is sort of at the, the carry-on of what they're feeling uh, sets off that chain reaction that leads to inflammation that makes it you know, difficult for the gastrointestinal system to absorb tryptophan and that amino acid that helps the body make serotonin. So there's such a connection here. Could the answer lie in diet? <laughs> Oh, I love that question, Maureen. I'm a big fan of diet. Food is medicine and our brain, or sorry, our gut is our second brain. There's, there's even more neurons in our brain, in our, sorry, in our gut than there are in our brain. So again, this is a really a fascinating part of research, but 100%, our food is everything. People, I wish the world would understand how important food, nutrition is to overall health. And we could really fix so many of these problems 
or improve many problems, not just COVID, long COVID, with taking paying attention to our food and what we're eating mm-hmm. because most of it is a lot of it is toxic. There's so much garbage in our food. Who would have changed than what it was in the seventies? I know that's another conversation entirely, but food is medicine and mm-hmm. so important. It, it certainly is. And, um, you know, it, it's not easy these days. There's so many processed foods. We're going to be talking about food in the next segment, specifically meat. Um, there was another, I don't know if you're familiar with the other recent biomarker study out of Yale University. Um, it was published in Nature, and they compared people with long COVID, those who were infected around the same time but had fully recovered, and those people who had never had COVID. Are you familiar with that study? Yeah, I know a little bit about it. Yeah, they, you know, they saw differences. Okay. In their blood samples and the level of cortisol, which okay. is quite interesting. Yeah. Yes, exactly. We have a caller on the line. We have, uh, who have we got on the line? Uh, hello. Oh, Samantha. Oh, hi, Samantha. How are you? I'm doing good if I didn't have long COVID. Oh, do you have long COVID? Yes, I do. Yeah. I'm so sorry to hear that. Um, what um, are your symptoms that you're experiencing? Um, I have really bad brain fog. Mm-hmm. Um, I sleep quite a bit. Days I'll get really dizzy. Mm-hmm. Um, the big thing is the memory. Um, it's affected my memory for I'll have a conversation with somebody and I'll forget the words. So wow. that's um, very embarrassing. And has it affected your, I mean, obviously it's affected your quality of life. Has it affected your employment or your, your family uh, life, relationships? You know what? It's, um, it has affected my life. My life mm-hmm. has changed um, because people that don't have long COVID don't realize what long COVID is. Mm-hmm. It's very mm-hmm. scary. Um, I'm actually off on a leave from work right now. I'm worried that I won't be able to go back. I'm a nurse. Oh, and dear. And I don't know if I can go back. Um, I am, yeah, in, very with scary, nursing. Very scary. Yeah. And have they offered you any treatments? Yeah, uh, physiotherapy. Um, they said the only way, really, that you're going to get better is if you rest. Right? Wow. Um, so I try, but it's hard. Mm-hmm. Um, nobody knows anything about this long COVID. Right, right. right? So well, they're, they're just trying to rule out stuff. Yes. Um, you know, the same as my daughter has long COVID now. Oh, And dear. it's affected her heart. So we've got oh. a 22-year-old with high blood pressure as well as a high pulse. Oh, they don't I'm know so how to sorry. treat it. That's, I'm so sorry to hear that. Right? I'm, I'm sure, but are it, they treating it, it with... It affects your life. Yes, yes, it does indeed. And how long ago did you have COVID? I had COVID uh, March 10th. Oh, I'm so sorry to hear that. Well, they are doing research. They're coming up with some things. There may be a connection, um, you know, with the gut and the brain. And uh, I wish you good health and I wish you a speedy recovery for you and your daughter. And thank you so much for your call and thank sharing you. your story. You're yeah, welcome. No, thank you for the information. My guest is Dr. Tomi Mitchell, family physician, also a productivity coach. Her website, wellnessstrategies.com. Thanks so much for staying on the line, Dr. Mitchell. We Thank also you, have, Marie. you're Thank welcome. You, we have Peter calling in from Port Coquitlam, British Columbia. We're talking about long COVID. Hey, Peter. Hi, how are you? I'm fine. Thank you. How are you? 
Not that great. Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, well, uh, I'll cut right to the chase here. I've had COVID four times. I've had all my vaccinations. I haven't been able to take it. Like, this hits so home with me. Thank you for dealing with this because I've had doctors say to me in the hospital, there's no such thing as long COVID. Well, oh. I haven't been able to smell or taste anything for two years. And oh. three times I got COVID in the hospital. The ward's been shut down. I didn't go in there on account of this. I got it because other people in the ward had it. And I was isolated because I'm MRSA. And mm -hmm. uh, I still got it. I'm sitting there, I'm not wandering around, and damn, it's really um, contagious because I'm stuck in a room by myself, and I still mm -hmm. got it. And oh. uh, But I have had doctors say to me, you know, I ask them, I say, look, uh, I, I can't taste anything, I haven't been able to, whatever, and it's now awful. I got it again. And uh, three times out of four times, I got it being in the hospital. So I'm really appreciative of you and your guests addressing this issue because I feel like an idiot. I've got brain fog. I can't. Uh, I've got all the symptoms. I don't have headaches. Mm -hmm. Okay, I'm going to shut up about myself, but I'm really <laughs> appreciative about uh you addressing this issue because when oh, okay i'm gonna shut up but thank oh. you <laughs> you're so welcome and i hope you feel better and we'll continue to address this problem because i think a lot of people suffer and especially when it's something where people are dismissed it makes it that much harder peter i wish you good health and it must be awful enough to be able to smell or taste your food mm -hmm. uh dr mitchell we have about 30 seconds left. What do you think of when doctors say long COVID doesn't exist? It breaks my heart as from, you know, long COVID is real. You know, I saw I've had COVID and I've experienced brain fog in the past. Thank God it wasn't long term, but it is real. So um, there's a lot of people, not all doctors are the same. Not all people are the same. Long COVID mm -hmm. is real. Um, find someone who'll take your, your concerns seriously and explore other options. Like I think there's some hope in this SSRI, SSRI business, like, you know, medications that may help with the Absolutely. brain fog. I, I just feel like it's the wild, wild west, but I mean, there are treatments that we can try and that's yes. what I want patients to know that Ethan is willing to try treatment. Exactly. Thanks for listening to the Sunday Night Health Show podcast. You can subscribe, rate, or review on your favorite podcast app. And if you've got a question about your health, the nurse is always in. So email me, nursetalk at hotmail.com, and I just might answer your question anonymously, of course, on next week's show. For now, have a happy and healthy week.